Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, I'll actually read a portion of it in the context of my message. Um, and we're talking about becoming all things to all men. That is the thrust of Paul's message here. And if you were with us last week, you know we were talking really the past couple of weeks. We've been discussing a little bit about you know, choices that you make. What is the right thing to do? And when Paul has been addressing the decision-making process, he's been talking about thinking about how it affects others, but it's really been in others who are already inside the family of faith, brothers and sisters. People have said, I'm following Christ, and I'm trying to figure out what that really looks like in the here and the now, and he's given some equipping for that. And in this passage, he's kind of broadening it now, and he's looking out beyond that. And he says, how, how are we to think about what we do when it comes to the gospel, the good news of Christ, and its impact on people outside the family of faith? So here he's kind of shifting perspectives, and he is inviting us into his own mindset about what that looks like. And Paul's mindset is pretty spectacular. I mean, he was a church planter. He wrote about half of the New Testament. He met God in a dramatic fashion, an incredible conversion experience where the people he hated before and he was seeking to persecute, now he's being persecuted for because he's identifying with Christ. And so when you read these words, it's helpful to think this guy is a, at least a little bit unique in that respect. Nonetheless, he says... All of you are invited into the same mentality that I have, the same thing that's driving me. Because if you have encountered Christ, whether it's something spectacular or kind of that long, slow, steady exposure that you've had perhaps through your upbringing or just some other way, it is a transformative reality. And if it does not transform the way you think about all of life, then you haven't really understood the gospel. And the reason that Paul says, I, I do this, I think this way, it's for the sake of the gospel. He says that in the text as well. I do all these things because my driving motif is, what can I do to make sure the gospel, the good news of Christ, is being represented everywhere I go? And it's not some sort of external thing that somebody tells him, look, you have to do this. When the Holy Spirit entered into his life, and he encountered Christ. His way of looking at everything changed. And it was a sight issue for him. He was blinded by this dazzling light. And then he said, for the first time, I actually see. It's so transformative. It so changes the way he looks at things. I made reference to Derwin Gray. I think last week, as we heard him talk, he's the pastor of Transformation Church. In North Carolina, uh, a former football player, and, uh, and I, was, I went back and listened to some of what he said because what struck me is a comment made last week when he was struggling with how could God love anybody like me. And then he realized that's the only people God has to love is people like me. And he cried for three straight days. He was just so overcome, both by gripped by his sin, but also the love of God. And it so compelled him that he couldn't do anything except for share that love with others. And he became quite the evangelist, a pastor as well. And that was his specific 
calling, and Paul's as well. But Derwin Gray, Paul, and you all have something in common if you're following Christ. There is a mindset, a mentality, a transformative way of looking at everything that we ought to be working into our DNA so it flows out into everything that we do. One of the critiques of some pastors who tend to be a little bit more cerebral theologically is there's never any practical application. And Paul is giving here a rubric that you get to apply. It's as practical as it gets. If you're looking for me to spell it out for you, we can try to sit together and talk a little bit about what it might look like. The, the good thing is, I don't have to figure it out for you. You get to do it on your own, and we can do it together. What does it look like to be somebody with this mentality as a mother, as a worker, as a student, as an athlete, as an accountant, as an engineer, whatever it is you may, may be doing. This applies. So the application burden might be a little bit on you this morning, but it's really kind of an easy win. And you get to kind of work through what this looks like. What am I talking about? Let's get to the text. That is, hopefully you're saying, what in the world does this text say? Well, here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Not that. Not yet. Um, as you look here at this text, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I was thinking of Philemon 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of all the good things God's given you. There's something in that dynamic that unpacks the realities for you. And Paul's been saying, we have a lot of freedom in Christ, right? Last week, we tried to grapple with the apple, if you were here. Well, do I or don't I? And he says, there's a lot of freedom. And when you do that, exercise that freedom, consider how it affects your brother and a sister. Now he says, in the exercise of your freedom, consider how it affects other people who are not yet your brother and your sister. But you would love to see them in the kingdom of God. And in order to do that, he says, I am going to become all things to all men. I'm going to consider what is in front of me and the opportunities that I have to do one of two things. Remove barriers that might keep others from knowing Christ. And also create opportunities that might lead someone to knowing Christ. Both those things are here. He's got four categories of people. To these people who have Jewish sensibilities, a certain culture, I'm going to step into their world enough so that I are, there are no barriers between me having a conversation with them about Christ. I'm going to make sure that I'm not, I'm removing every possible barrier. 
and I'm building every possible bridge. And note that he says he doesn't do that while dismissing the law of Christ. If he has to, for example, uh, he goes to a, a meeting with a bunch of adulterers, he's not going to say, let me commit adultery so that I can identify with the adulterers. Because God has clearly said that's wrong. So within the scope of the freedom offered to you by the many things in life that aren't clearly set out, you lean into it as much as possible. To the Jew become a Jew. Jewish sensibilities. It was easy for him. He was Jewish. I had a, a friend, uh, Jay Moda, who had a dramatic conversion. He was uh, Brahman, and he was being trained to take over this role in the priestly caste at the, at the temple where his, his father was a Brahmin leader. And he encountered Christ. He became a follower of Jesus. But he remained vegetarian. He knew he had the freedom, for example, to eat meat. But he chose not to because he realized in the eating of meat, he was putting himself in a position where his Indian friends might say, oh, to become Christian means to be Western and eat meat. But for him, he said, no, no, I'm going to keep that part of my cultural sensibilities so there's no barrier. So I have access to my brothers and my sisters. His choice, he had the freedom not to or to. And I don't know if Jay, it'd be interesting if he went down because we were in the deep south and we had crawfish boils. I wasn't there one with him, but if maybe he was surrounded by a, a bunch of, you know, southerners, he might have cracked open that crawfish. I don't know. Perhaps in, because he didn't want it to be a barrier. See, he has the freedom to do that. And he said, I'm going to use my platform for who I am to make sure that I am getting into this space where I am not creating any barriers to a person hearing about Jesus. And in fact, I'm actually building bridges to do that. You have to know yourself, don't you? One of my, uh, my uh, youth leader, Mark, Mark DeMaz, um, when, when he was a teenager, he got addicted to, uh, he was abusing substances and he, he went, uh, he got delivered from that, became a Christian. God set him free from that bondage. He went right back to his friends to tell the good news of Jesus. And what do you think happened? He started using again. His faith was so, so weak and that when he got around his friends, the, the smells, the memories, the, the, the just desires came up inside of him. And he, he couldn't do it anymore. So he said, I, I can't do this. Now, Mark DeMoz is a seasoned pastor, and I can almost guarantee you if he went back into that space now, it would hold no, no attraction to him. And he'd be able probably to go there and say, brother, I know exactly what you're going through. Let me, let me tell you the stories. You know, he probably has easier access into that community than I do. I've not struggled with that. And there's an opportunity here then to remove barriers and create opportunities. Now, this can be done on a large level. There's, there's a whole, if you're a missiologist, there's a contextualization scale. I think it's C1 to C9. You know, how, how accommodating and how contextualized are you going to be? And there's all kinds of debates about that. Some of what I think you need to know is who you are. Can I go into this space and still actually have integrity in my own heart about, and it may be different than somebody else, hence the freedom. Hence the knowledge of who you are. And that's, that's something that you have to kind of wrestle with. But the mentality you see is this one. I make 
every single effort I can to enter into that space. And if that becomes slavery to you because you're trying to accommodate everybody's needs, you're no longer free. And you might have to step back and think, wow, I've made an idol, idol of accommodation <laughs> and contextualization. And all of a sudden, you're doing it for the sake of somebody in their view of you instead of Christ being central. Now look, there's this high-level consideration, but let me just give you a very practical example. And then you can do what you want to with it as well. How do you apply, how do you apply this? Um, I think everybody, a lot of you drove to church here today. Most of you probably have licenses or you'd like to have a license. So, I mean, this seems kind of silly, but, you know, if you're a follower of Christ and you get into the car, you're still a follower of Christ when you get onto the road. Some of us may have uh, driving habits that infuriate other people. And um, I, I realize you, you may not be aware of that reality or even know how to change it. But let's say, for example, that you're somebody who's driving very, very slow. You're going 30 and a 45. And me, personally, Mark Champagne, I'm behind you. My goal in life is to get from point A to B as fast as possible. I don't understand why anybody would think otherwise. That's just, it doesn't, doesn't matter why. It's just... Get there as fast as possible. So if you're slow, and especially if I'm in a rush, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for me to, to pull around you and look over and give you a dirty look. <laughs> okay? Like just the mean glare, like, and then pull in front of you. And then if you've got 10 toward road rage, you might even, like, break a little bit or something like that. Okay? Let's imagine that scenario happens. And then uh, a week later, say today, that person comes in through the, through the door this morning and sees me. And I'm up front saying, do everything you can to make sure nobody's hindered from the gospel. And that person who's a non-believer and just decided to check out this thing called Christianity looks up and sees me up front. And all he can think of me is like, this mean guy? Oh, that's the guy. <laughs> this is what Christians are like? And when you put that Redeemer Church bumper sticker on your car, maybe you shouldn't. If you, feel like, if you feel like these things are problematic for you, just rip it off. Or maybe it actually is an accountability factor for you. And I mean that seriously for me too. Sometimes I think, thank goodness I don't have that. What, what if somebody looks at, at that and types it in and looks up and it's, you know, the lead pastor like this? Mark loves sharing Christ with people. So, you know, it, this is practical. To me, it's, it's, it's adopting that mentality that to the best of your ability. You know, isn't the gospel refreshing because we're all going to make mistakes like this? And, and to some extent, you're not that powerful. It seems like later Paul is kind of saying, you've got to take it in the whole context, you know. My behavior is going to affect whether or not you get into heaven. Thank goodness, in God's providence, there's more going on than just that. But you do factor, so on the one hand, don't minimize the role that you play. On the other hand, you are not Jesus. It's not the gospel of you. It's the gospel of Christ. And you may or may not be a good representative. But Paul is saying you should care if you are. And you should do everything possible to remove any barrier 
and to create every opportunity. And if you drop that kind of mentality into your mind, it's kind of a missionary mindset, right? If you, if you literally are somebody that we support and we send over there, there is just something different about the way you think about everything. Because you're, you're writing newsletters back to people, and you're saying, hey, this week I did ABC. And you're thinking, what am I going to put here? In order to do that, I've got to think about everything around me is an opportunity or a removed barrier. And that's you. And here's the good news. You can do it in your context, and I am not you, therefore I cannot do it. So that the strategy even for, for delivering the good news is much bigger than bringing somebody on a Sunday morning and crossing your fingers and hoping that the pastor says the right thing <laughs> or doesn't say the wrong thing. That is a piece, but it's not the whole. And the body of Christ, that's the whole. You, you get the opportunity, you leave these doors. You drive away with the bumper stickers or you go out and take them off before you leave today. Whatever your conviction may be, you are a missionary. You are representing Christ. And not every single one of us does it in the same kind of way. There are some people among us who are gifted evangelists. Literally, that's a gift, as we'll see in the New Testament. There is a, there's a spiritual gift. When we do Discover Redeemer, we have people take spiritual gifts. And there's a gift of evangelism. And a couple of you have it. It's not a very common gift, but it does exist. And I pray for people who are evangelists to come to Redeemer. Well, I love that. When I started Redeemer, I was given in our polity the powers of an evangelist. That sounds like glorious language. <laughs> so I just said, you know, the fact of the matter is, I know my spiritual gifts. Evangelism's stuck in the middle somewhere. And I'm like, can you please pray that it would go up the list a little bit? Maybe even at the top? Paul says, eagerly desire these gifts. Pray for these gifts. So there's one category of sharing the gospel that people like, people whose names you know, like Paul and Robbie Zacharias. I know there have been some issues, but you know his name because he's quite the evangelist. There's a, there's a ton of others, and maybe even you in this church. You easily, readily share your faith. Then there's the rest of us. And the rest of us, then, we do have a duty and an obligation to share our faith. What, and we need to train in that and get better at that. If it's not your gift, maybe pray for it. But you still have an obligation and an opportunity to consider, at the very least, how this applies in your life. What would it look like if your whole mentality was, how can I remove barriers? How can I create opportunities? And it can be small things. Those small things, this, the, the context for this is, is very relational. It's, it's very body, location, Corinth, places of commerce, places of worship. How are you representing Christ? And you get to work that out. Now, there are some, some people who are uniquely gifted at this, and, and they can certainly inspire us, too. Now, I mentioned Derwin Gray. Derwin Gray, after he became a follower of Christ, okay, and he has a very large church, in part because he's got what I would call the gift of prophecy, which I, is declaring God's word 
very clearly and very strongly to make others to lead toward change. And he's got the gift of evangelism. He was led to the Lord by an evangelist in a locker room who, like I said, kept saying, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? The kind of person who annoys you <laughs> if you don't. It's like, stop peddling your wares. But the guy kept coming around. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? No, get away from me. Do you know Jesus? And eventually he thought, oh, I don't, maybe I should know more about this. And he became the person doing the same thing. So I got a little video here that was made some time ago featuring Derwin Gray as the evangelism linebacker to give you a little context for not only him, but the opportunities we might have to do the same. So, Jay, give it your best shot to see if you can hook us up with this sweet action. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked at the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the flow and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! don't you run from me! You can't escape my grasp! DJ will throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Ah, thank you, Mr. Gray. I'll never do it again! Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I, got, I just got some more important things I gotta do. Uh huh. Hey man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I gotta go. Selfishness? The world needs a message. For God to love the world, he wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. We're intrigued, as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go, here's your double cappuccino latte mocha with a twist, not too hot, not too cold, perfect for you. Yeah, but anyway, man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know, like we were supposed to be sharing our faith in our coffee shop? Woo! Woo! Shut out in the coffee shop, baby! 
it's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program. Pride comes before the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament. You know this. Thanks for the coffee, Darren. Hey, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Yo, mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, that they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knocks the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. When you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire. I can be everywhere and just know that I'm always watching. Ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. Are you ready for game day? Thought that would be good as well as the Super Bowl is coming up. And Terry, who does the Super Bowl breakfast, really the last as well. Something we should be praying for because that's a platform where the good news of Christ is shared by people who are on that huge audience. You know, the, we tend to elevate NFL players uh, and, and they get an, a chance to share the good news of Christ. And Terry's a big part of why that has happened. Uh, and so we're grateful for that. So please pray for that as well. At the very least, that's a way that you can be involved in it. So, I mean, obviously, the threat of being tackled might encourage you to be looser-lipped <laughs> with respect to your faith. But as a long-term motive, that's probably not the best thing, right? I mean, there's some tongue-in-cheek there. And Paul uh, Paul's motive uh, and Derwin's motive and, and others, too, who are evangelists, is the love of the gospel, is seeing the freedom they found in Christ. And that freedom has so transformed them that they want others to know it as well. That's what it comes down to. So part of what we need to do is explore, and I think Paul's driving us to this, to unpack and understand more the, the freedoms, the beauty that we have in Christ. But it's just like a present. We don't just sit there and gaze at it. It's meant to do something, to be taken to others as well. So there maybe is a measure of conviction that we ought to feel when we read a passage like this to say, are we doing this? Becoming all things to all men so that by all possible means, some people, through the vehicle of my testimony, might hear of the freedom in Christ. And Paul says we need to take that pretty seriously. In, in the second part of this text, he gives a picture of what that might look like when he gives a, a, another kind of athletic imagery for taking this then and, and applying it. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is saying, look, if you're taking this very, very seriously, it does affect what you do. That motive shapes behavior. So my image then of applying this 
is making sure that I can be in the best possible condition to do that. So he says, look, train yourself to run the race. Stay in spiritual shape. You got the Olympic Games and you had the Isthmus Games. Apparently the Olympic Games became more popular over time. We're familiar with them. Second was the Isthmus Games that took place in Corinth, right here. So these Corinthians would be very familiar since they hosted those games with people training in the streets for the big day. And he says, this is a spiritual picture of how you take the things I was talking about seriously and make sure you're prepared and ready on the day of competition. I don't know how many of you have the idea of something like a 5K in your head. And maybe every Thanksgiving, a relative drags you out to run it. And you might even just look at people running and think, that looks so easy. And then if you tried doing it yourself, with no training, I remember running a 10K once with my brother-in-law, who does Ironmans and stuff like that, too. And I thought, this is going to be great. I finished, at the time, it seemed like a very old thing to say, between like a 50-year-old man that seemed like, kind of like a 90-year-old man to me at the time, because I was in my 30s, and probably a 12-year-old girl. And then me. And I barely made it across this. I'm like, what in the world? Well, you know what? I hadn't trained. I don't think I'd run that far in, 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 in five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. What did I expect? What do you expect to, in terms of dropping this mentality on if you're not putting yourself in, in the training that comes along with it? That's what we call the spiritual disciplines, right? The, the opportunities God's given us to hone these skills, even of evangelism, but certainly knowing his word in prayer, gathering with God's people, these are all things that he's given us, the, the, the weapons of our warfare, the training gear that we put on. You need to avail yourself of that. And be ready. Train yourself to run the race well and, and do it not just because, like these people, they get a prize and maybe their name goes in a book, but you have something you're grasping for that goes on forever. Eternity. That's what's at stake. That's what you're running for. So keep your eyes on that. You know, if you're running a race, you are running toward a finish line. And when you feel like quitting, that finish line is something that keeps you going. It's people yelling around you too, like, yeah, you can do this, you do this. But it's also knowing there's an end and the finish line. And the picture here is run the race well. Do you really just want to be limping the entire way? No. Some of you, this analogy may fall flat because you don't like running. You don't like sports. Perhaps you could repackage it for whatever it is that inspires you. But for Paul, he looked around and he said, these people will get it. And I'm so serious, I'm going I'm I'm to treat my body. He's talking about this language of freedom and slavery. I'm going to kind of treat myself like a slave to the gospel to make sure that I am exercising my freedom in voluntary self-discipline so that I'm not disqualified from the prize that's in front of me. We were talking about this in, in our life group and a couple of phrases that, were, that came to mind is, you know, don't waste your time, somebody said, and somebody else said, don't do dumb stuff. That was kind of a nice and insightful observation. Don't disqualify. Don't do dumb stuff. You know, if you're looking for kind of the, the, the layman's terms for what in the world, just you should care about that. You should train yourself and keep your eyes on the finish line. 
And then I realized, even in preparing this message, I'm a product of somebody who did that. I'm a product of people who took this kind of stuff seriously. Not only in my beginning steps of following Christ, but in those early days as well, when a captain in the Air Force came alongside me and entered into my teenage drama and confusion and said, I'm going to walk alongside you in this. To the teenager, he became a teenager. 28-year-old captain. And he was so fixed on the prize that was before him that when he went off in the, the Persian Gulf War, he took a stack of Bibles with him because he said, I'm going to share my faith with everybody I possibly can. He was one of the few casualties of the Gulf War. It was a C-5 that crashed, and he burned to death. I didn't find out about that until a few weeks later. This was before the era, and I was reflecting with somebody. I wonder how Brad's doing. He said, you haven't heard. They said, you haven't heard? I said, no, what? He's not with us any longer. He's gone. And then when I went back and heard more about his story and even how he had the sense that maybe these were his final days, he said, I'm going to go out with Christ's name on my, on my lips to the very end. 28-year-old captain in the Air Force whose who's pursuit of me and willingness to invest in me continues to be an anchor for the opportunities I have to invest in others. And even seeing the opportunity for me to become like this person. Why? For the sake of the gospel. It's great to have people like that in your life who have demonstrated that reality. And the good news is that's what you get to do as a mom, as a father, as an employee, as a student, as an athlete, wherever it is. Keep your eyes on that goal. And if you haven't tasted the freedom that comes in Christ, what are you waiting for? You know, he, Christ, this is what's amazing about the gospel. Christ, the Son of God, gave up all of his rights, all of his freedoms, and limited himself on our level as a man. Why did he do that? He came into this world not to be served, but to serve others. He came into this world to give his life as a ransom. So when you wonder, how could God love somebody like me? Christ comes and says, doubt no more that that's the case. He gave up all his freedoms, all his riches, and became poor so that you in your poverty could know the riches of Christ. And Paul, when he grasped that, took that in so much, he said, I can't possibly be the same man anymore. And it shapes everything I do even down to how I drive my, well, I guess, mule for him. Father, I do pray that you would compel us by the beauty of the gospel to ask, what does it look like for us to train ourselves to run the race well? Keep our eyes on the finish line for sure, but in the daily business of life, would you, genuinely we're asking, would you give us insights because we might not be aware of the, the ways that we're building walls instead of tearing them down. Of the ways that we're burning bridges instead of building them. So make it painfully, if necessary, clear to us. For the sake of the gospel, that's what's at stake here. That we may remove every barrier that might keep others from knowing Christ. And create every opportunity that might lead somebody into that knowledge. And thanks that we are not so powerful that it's dependent solely on us. Your Holy Spirit is at work, but he is the one who is using us as well. We are your ambassadors. 
may we feel the weight of that, but also the freedom that comes because we are your people who get to enter into this reality on a daily basis. Help us to unpack that more and more and become all things to all men for the sake of the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.